Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're in for extra time. Kia ora koutou katoa. Welcome into the Extra Time podcast. I'm Clay Wilson and joining me on this week's podcast, we have RNZ sports columnist Hamish Bidwell, Warriors women's team captain Georgia Hale, and from the Locker Room website, Suzanne McFadden. So, after a two-month absence, live sport in this part of the world is finally back. Following weeks of wrangling and having hurdled a raft of obstacles, the NRL Rugby League competition resumed last night in Australia. So what does it mean to have live sport back, and what are we expecting, both from the competition itself and the Warriors? Hamish, I'll come to you first on this. Um, What do you make of the NRL firstly being able to pull this off and what's going to catch your interest most about this first round of matches? I'm astonished that it's on. Not so much that they um, managed to overcome the the, the health hurdles and uh, the government legislations in the various states and what have you to get the competition going. As I've said and written before, I'm astonished that it's going because the players generally let rugby league down all the time. Their behaviour is appalling. Um, They have no ability to um, fill free time without doing something daft or distasteful. And I genuinely thought that someone would commit some sort of atrocity, uh, break some sort of um, lockdown rule. Um, There was minor infractions, but they were minor. Um, And it's gone ahead. And I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled for them. I I did my best to watch the game last night. I I got to halftime and then I'll be honest, I'm a bit old now and I get tired. But um, it was really good. I've seen some highlights again this morning. yeah, it was, it was just great to watch some footy, and it was it was intense. Um, it's hard without crowds. It's hard um, without that sort of atmosphere to generate excitement and enthusiasm among players, but I thought they played with real um, intensity, and I was really impressed, and I was so glad that it was on, to be honest. Yeah, just on the quality, Georgia coming to you as a player, how hard would it have been for the players to come in after such a long time out and no practice matches and produce that kind of quality. I mean, it's pretty pretty difficult, right, as a, as a player, especially in such a high-end competition. Yeah, it is a hard thing to do. Um, and I guess, you know, for most of the players, when they were training by themselves, um, not really having a good measure of where they were at until they got back into the training environment with the team and football staff. Um, it's also really hard when you then mix the running side of things with the contact. Um, it's a total different fitness game. So I think last night just... Having flicked on the footy and and watching, it was a little bit probably frantic to start and you could see them starting to blow kind of around that 20-minute mark. But I think as to be expected, you know, just with the environment and and recent times and things, I think it's been, you know, really hard on the players. But I think they've done really well to, um, you know, get back into things really quickly. And, um, yeah, excited to watch the rest of the football this weekend. One thing I noticed last night... um was obviously Hamish touched on it there, not having fans in the crowd. And we did see it a little bit before the lockdown. Suzanne, what, what do you think this is going to do? Is it going to take away from us watch, sitting them watching at home? Is it is it weird? And, I mean, should we look at other things perhaps? That, that try, I know other leagues around the world are looking at things to try and make up for that loss of having fans there at the game. Yeah, and I think last night, you know, they tried using the piped crowd noise. Um, which seemed to be okay. I know a lot of um, sports are looking at ways to make not only the crowd, you know, sorry, the people at home 
to enjoy it, but help the players experience as well. And I know that um, people in New Zealand have been looking at quite a few options before they restart the ANZ Premiership. One of the things is um, there's an app where you at home can click a button and your crowd cheer will go into the stadium to help the players. So, I mean, it's a really interesting concept and I know that Super Rugby is trying to um, look at maybe having crowd pods for groups of, of spectators in stadiums. Um, but I think it, it is what it is at the moment and I think that we're really fortunate to be able to watch some live sport finally and um, I think we'll get over that part of it. Just on the crowd noise and stuff, I mean, it dates back a long time. Before I insulted people's intelligence for a living by writing and talking, I was a groundsman at the Basin Reserve and Westpac Stadium. And going back to when Westpac was being built and just finished in 1999, um, they brought in a whole bunch of extras from the Lord of the Rings set and they had them practice cheering and they taped it. And over my professional writing life, they played it often at Westpac Stadium because let's face it, no one liked going there because it was a hole. Um, and so, yeah, we've had pipe cheering for, you know, 20 years or more now. So, People yeah, just didn't know us. Yeah, and I, was, I used to chuckle because I was like, I was here the day that these people were, you know, literally being coerced to cheer louder and louder. And then, yeah, they used to play it often. I think it's great um, that at least we're not doing what the South Korean football club did with stands to make it look like people. Yeah, they learned that lesson for everyone, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, righto, looking at the Warriors now, um, they've obviously been through more than any other club to get to this point um, with all the travel. They've been through two quarantine periods and now in this last couple of weeks been hit with all these injuries. Um, Georgia, I'll come to you first. Where do you think they fit at the start of this resumption of the competition? Yeah, I mean... I think they're on a really even playing field. I mean, all of the teams have been through, you know, very much similar situations of recent times. Um, you know, injuries happen and, you know, all the boys have been in lockdown and they're coming back together and being back in a professional environment and things. You know, it's not only our team, but, you know, all of the other 15 teams that have had to go through this. So I'm excited to watch them tomorrow. Um, you know, I think the kind of inclusion and the stepping up of some of the younger players into the squad, um, you know, will be a nice mix. Um, there's still enough experience within the side to, um, you know, as they say, kind of get the job done. But um, no, I'm excited for the younger boys coming through. I mean, they have a, a big squad over there, you know, of many players, in, you know, in case gaps need filled. And, um, you know, that's what they do. They rely on the depth that they have. So I'm excited to see some of these younger boys come through and then, um, you know, as our injuries and as, you know, time goes on and those boys start to come back into the ring, um, you know, to bring back some of that experience as well. Hamish, I know you've written about this this week, um, about them being based in Australia and perhaps a little bit of pressure coming off them for this season. Yeah, the expectations are nil. And I think often that can free a team and, and free players. Um, we've probably, if we're being absolutely honest, the Warriors are five or six players away from a genuine playoff team. But as we saw last night, um, and it's the truism rugby league and always has been, if you run harder and tackle harder than the other team, you give yourself a, a, a much better chance of winning. Um, Parramatta did that. They smashed Brisbane, and the Warriors lack a Cameron Smith, they lack a bit of guile, they lack a bit of class, but they, if you, as I say, it's as simple as that, if you run harder and tackle harder, you give yourself a really good chance of winning, so while I would say I don't expect a lot from them, and I think most people are expecting them 
and the Titans to battle out the wooden spoon. I think there are a lot of reasons why the Warriors could be optimistic in terms of what they've been through, the lack of expectation, the fact that they're based in Australia for this period, um, that they're together. Um, they should be really united. I, I drew comparisons in something I wrote the other day with the, um, the Crusaders rugby team of 2011, which weren't able to play in Christchurch because of the devastating earthquake down there. That really galvanised that group. They felt they were playing for more than just themselves. They were playing certainly for their families, but also for a community that had been you know, demoralised and was still being shaken by earthquakes. And that really, they drew a lot of strength from that. Ultimately, they lost in the, in the final to the Reds. But it was still a, an incredible campaign. And I think the Warriors can can do similar. I don't expect them to, but I think they can. They have a really great opportunity. And I think whatever happens, no one's going to judge them harshly. I think people are very grateful for the sacrifices that they've made. And I think this is an opportunity for them to, to exceed expectations. And I say good, good luck to them. Yeah, they've been through a lot to get here. And I guess because of that, they've become in some ways the second team, as people are calling it, for a lot of Australians. Suzanne, do you think that helps them at all? Is it going to make any difference? Or is it just a bit of a, a feel-good thing that a lot of Australians have now got behind the Warriors? I think it's great. I, I think it's fantastic for them. And I'm a, with Hamish that, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for them to turn adversity into strength. You know, they they have, I think, made the biggest sacrifice of any team in this competition. Um, you know, leaving their families behind to go and live in a different country um, they, you know, they were dealing with the toing and froing of whether they would get there in time to go through quarantine and play. So I really hope that you know the young guys step up. This is their opportunity. They've got nothing to lose. You've got loan players who are probably going to try and impress their own clubs. You know that they would be getting this opportunity to play. And I just really hope that we see that the heart of this team comes out. What do we actually expect from them come the end of this competition? Do we expect them to to be there or thereabouts? I mean, do, does this change aspirations or where their expectations for our expectations for them were before the comp? Georgia, where do you see them fitting in come the end of the competition? Um, I mean, I'm always in quite a hard position, and you know, obviously being a big supporter of the club, you know, I hope that um, you know they do go well this season. But I guess you know, really time will tell. Um, you know, we haven't had the, the pleasure of being able to kind of watch them and observe training and kind of see the build-up. They've all had to kind of be doing it in their own bubbles and come back together and use the, the very short time that they've had. So, you know, I, I hope and I wish the very best for them. Um, you know, it's gonna it's all going to really kick off very, very quickly for them come tomorrow night. So, um, you know, I just hope that they give their best efforts. And, um, you know, like Hamish said, tackle hard and run hard. And, you know, we can't really ask much more of them. And that's the thing. Um no one expects anything of them. So I think if they just exhibit effort, if, you know, you can lose on ability, but you shouldn't lose on effort. And I think that's what we want to see from the Warriors. We don't expect them to, to be vying for the title, but we would love to see them, you know, really try and put in some creditable performances. And that it's no guarantee that you'll win games, but at least effort is something that fans can admire and, and, and cling to. So I think that would be the big thing that I want to see from them is just some demonstrable effort. Okay, well, staying with the Warriors, um, Georgia, you're obviously with the, the women's team and we're still waiting to hear what's going to happen with the women's competition this year. What can you tell us about the latest? We saw a broadcast deal done last night. I know that was part of what was involved with the discussions with the women's competition. So where are you guys at? What do you know at this point? Yeah, it's been a really kind of frustrating time, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm really happy, obviously, that the, the men's game is up and running, but, I, you know, I still feel like our, our female game, we're kind of 
on the back foot. Um, you know, we're always looked at, um, you know, later down the tier. And, you know, to be completely honest, I really am unsure as to what the competition looks like going ahead, whether it's maybe this year, potentially the start of next year, um, leading into World Cup. I'm still unsure. We've had a lot of discussions with the Rugby League Players Associations just with their discussions around um, what it could look like. But again, you know, nothing confirmed from our end. So as a player, you know, trying to really stay in that elite space and still be training and trying to compete and be the best, you know, it's hard to do when, you know, there's nothing kind of in sight. So, you know, I hope for our game that there is something to look forward to soon. You know, we've, we've done a lot in the last few years to get our game to where it is, um, you know, to be on an even playing field, as they say, as the men. But as a female player, you know, I'd like to see more of that. If it doesn't... One of more clubs buy in. You've got four clubs. I mean, the AFLW, for instance, started with eight, and they're up to, to 14 of their 18, and they hope to have a full 18 by 2023. When are the other clubs going to buy in, or when is the governing body going to take the game seriously enough to say you must have a female team? Because I just think four teams, it doesn't give you a lot of bargaining power in situations like this, does it? And it doesn't, I don't think, show the female game a lot of respect. It's like it becomes an afterthought when so few teams are involved. I mean, how frustrating for you is that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've had two seasons now of kind of the same draw, same team, same competition. For me, I would really like to see another step forward with the inclusion of teams. And I know it's there, you know, spread across Australia. There's so much talent and, you know, so much growth within the women's game. Players are there. They're wanting to play. There's been interest from some clubs. You know, I'm unsure as to kind of what the holdup is. But, you know, for me, I would love to see the inclusion of more teams and the competition really grow, um, you know, faster than what it is at the moment. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but there's, there's Queensland and certainly New South Wales state competition. So there's, there's player depth below NRL level, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I know we've spoken in the past about women's sport potentially getting left behind in, in some of this with, with COVID-19. Suzanne, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that, given how much women's sport you cover and, and especially relating to what's going on here with the women's NRL comp. Yeah, I think it's it's still really early in the piece to tell whether that there's going to be um, this left, leaving behind of women's sport, you know, so many sports, um, like league, cricket, football, have made big steps ahead for women in the last, gosh, even five years. And there is that worry that they, that they are, will be left behind, you know, that they um, cost more money to run than men's sport, or um, there, aren't, there isn't as much interest in them, so why should we um, make them a priority at a time when you know, there isn't as much money around. But I think, you know, there is this opportunity to really grow the women's game now. You know, just almost, we're not starting back on, on a even platform here. You know, we haven't lost that much ground. But um, I think it is a time to really embrace women's sport and especially league. And what I wanted to ask you, Georgia, was you know, how do you think that this is going to affect the next generation of young female league players? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I've kind of already seen it affect some of our younger girls. I mean, just within our Kiwi Fern squad, you know, we have a huge mixture of ages of our experienced girls, you know, right down to our, you know, 18-year-old girls that are just coming into the frame. And even through this time, it's been really hard to engage and connect. Just with everything, you know, going on around us, um, kind of, I guess, 
for our younger players to like it's quite easy to lose sight with not much to really look forward to I mean yes we're talking about a World Cup and and things going forward but there's nothing in between that's going to get Phil you know for the kind of the time we've lost so you know I do see it affecting our younger girls I think the biggest thing that we can do going forward and you know hopefully sometime soon is, is really give them something whether it be back in our grassroots area of our game back in clubland um you know can new zealand rugby league do something for us in our zones and in our regions here um you know something to kind of just tick us over even if it's you know not our ideal dream of playing nrl this year is there something that can help support not only like myself and the older girls that are playing but you know our especially our younger girls that are coming through georgia how does this uh, affect your job you know working with the communities how is you're obviously still working at the moment working from home um it's changed a lot and the one thing i kind of thrive on is being out in the community and and seeing people and engaging with people and that's obviously the one thing we haven't been able to do so it's really just changed how we do things so virtually we've been doing a lot of virtual visits which has been quite refreshing um, we've been in classrooms and um, in classrooms at home um, and things, jumping online with our players that, you know, we're over in Tamworth now on the Central Coast. So we've still been able to do a bit. Um, you know, it's obviously just managing how we do that and what it looks like going forward. But, you know, things are, are looking brighter and, um, you know, we're starting to see some changes, which is nice, but we have been able to do enough to tick us over. <laughs> The Silver Ferns could end up playing the New Zealand men's team as a substitute to international tests that have been put in doubt this year due to COVID-19. With most international borders closed, a September series against Australia, South Africa and England is unlikely to go ahead. History was made last year when the Silver Ferns played their first televised games against the New Zealand men's team in the lead-up to the World Cup. It was the brainchild of Silver Ferns coach Dame Nolene Taurua, who told Bridget Tunnicliffe that they have to get creative. Yeah, definitely. Um, as you mentioned, I think it is doubtful. Um, you never know, but I think with what's happening over in the other countries and the regulations, it, it makes things tough for them to be able to travel, and rightly so. So what it does do is open up other opportunities. Um, the, we had tournaments in that leading into the Worlds um, last year, or the year before, sorry, I can't remember, which involved a Cadbury series of the men um, and also our levels underneath. So, you know, that's another thing that we've got under our belt that I think we can explore um, to not only help the Silver Ferns, but also to build the level underneath and, and the profile of our game. So there's definitely some upside and, and we've been, I suppose, uh, because we've done it before, um, there's no reason why it can't be seen as a positive. And um, something that could also be televised to help give fans that netball fix as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, a lot of people are waiting for sport to get back out on court and I know our netball community definitely is. So, you know, I think there's opportunities, even though it has been tough for a lot of people, that there's opportunities that do um, open up for us in, in our sport. And, uh, you know, we've ventured into those types of things with Cadbury series before. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can get creative and see what else we can do to fill the gap.
With the government working towards the, a trans-Tasman bubble, I guess from a netball point of view, it's ideal because if you had to pick any country to have a bubble with netball-wise, it would be Australia anyway. So that, are you pleased that we're in that kind of position? Yeah, very much so. Um, I think um, for us, obviously, with the diamonds on our back doorstep and that uh, competitive um, nature we have against each other, we couldn't, you know, it couldn't get any better for us. So um, we're, we're currently having discussions with Australia at the moment. I suppose their priority is to get their domestic competition up and running, the SSN, um, and hopefully we'll know where that is soon um, so that we can plan what the international season will look like at the end of the year. Have you had any results of fitness tests from the franchises um, drip back into you? Yes, so um, during the lockdown they've been also doing a fortnightly bronco um, uh, so that's been really pleasing. And over the last um, week as well, uh, they had to do the fitness testing as the, I suppose, part of the induction so that they know or the coaches know what the load needs to be over the upcoming week. So, um, so far they're still trickling in, but I'm really pleased overall. Um, definitely increase in the physical capability or the aerobic side um, has improved for many athletes. Um, so I'm pleased with that. Um, and now they probably just have to get back into the gym and get a consistent um, stretch program underway. Dame Nolene Toto are there, speaking to Bridget Tunnicliffe. The number of people contacting a New Zealand rugby mental health website has almost tripled in the last couple of months. The Head First website allows people to take self-tests for anxiety or depression. The website has been around since 2017 and in its first year had almost 14,000 visits. That number has grown steadily since. It uses players like Kevin Mialamu, Ruby Tui, Nehemil Naskara and Duplessis Karifi as ambassadors to help get the message across, but it's not just for rugby players and supporters. Dr Nathan Price heads the programme and he says being part of a team can be a vehicle for finding help. Rugby environments can have a really important part to play in player wellbeing and there's such that they can be a really positive influence in this space and we try and work with clubs, you know, we'll go out and deliver workshops to clubs to support them to be that kind of environment and have that kind of culture and we want rugby clubs to become a, you know, a safe space for people to share about how they're going and a space where asking for help doesn't have this any stigma attached to it and that it's a network of support and to build up clubs to be those spaces is really, really important to us and to have people like Nehi and others who have so successful in rugby to actually role model those sorts of things. Like, it's okay to ask for help. I'm a successful rugby player, yet I still receive and, and reach out for help and I practice mindfulness and gratitude. It does kind of take a little bit of that stigma off at that, at that lower level of the rugby club level that, well, if they're doing it, then it's surely it's good enough for us as well. So rugby clubs can be an amazing source of support, like any community hub. Yeah, they definitely can, can wrap an arm around each other. Do you still see high risk of mental illness in certain uh, sections of the population? You know, men under 25, Māori or Pacifica, is there a, a, a big area there that still remains a yes, concern? it does. Yeah, it absolutely remains a concern. And rugby, in, in a way, kind of works with quite a high risk group in terms of our mental health. So we work a lot with under 25s, and we know that you know about 75% of mental illnesses 
start before the age of 25. We work with a high male population. And again, we know what the statistics are around our male suicide rates. And we work with uh, lots of uh, Māori and Pacifica who are, of course, in our plane base. And they are also overrepresented in the, in the statistics. So there's a massive focus in that space. And again, um, that's that kind of that hard to reach community in a sense and that's where I think rugby's got a real opportunity and probably an, an obligation in, in a way to support these communities and provide messages through rugby that can help them grow as people look after their well-being but also look after their you know, their performance if they want to go down a rugby path or not. It's unfortunate that what you're doing is probably a growth area and especially what the country, the world's going through at the moment so have you had a chance to sort of look in the future of where you would like your program to go or or develop in some way? You're, you're right. It feels like there's so much work to do. <laughs> and for us, our real goal is to get out to our community, so to go out to our community clubs, whether that's up in Northland, Southland, or somewhere in between, and support those people with messages around wellbeing, so how to build your mental fitness, how to um, understand and cope with the tough times how to ask for help, where the help actually is, you know, to ask for it. And if we can sort of build this mental health literacy, I suppose, around our rugby communities, then I think we can see a, a change that transforms rugby. It goes into, into society and goes into Fano and Iwi and it just it spreads, I suppose. So, yeah, we, we're really looking to grow the program and take our messages using our ambassadors who speak so well on these topics to really give others permission to reach out for support and reduce the stigma around mental health and wellbeing. And that's such a big one for us as well, especially in rugby, you know, that it's OK to not be OK. That was Dr Nathan Price talking to Barry Guy. And that's it for Extra Time this week. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to this week's panellists Hamish Bidwell, Georgia Hale and Suzanne McFadden for their thoughts. Remember, you can check us out on the web at rnz.co.nz forward slash sport, or give us a follow on Twitter through the handle at RNZ Sport. Until next week, it's bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.